May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I have this book at home in my collection called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. It was followed up by the hit sequel, 89 Reasons Why He'll Return in 1989. And if you saw my copy, it's really great because they're bound together, like on, in one book. So you read one and you can actually flip it over and then go the other direction and read the other one. It's wonderful. Um, and, uh, and I think 1988 must have been a hopping year for, um, for these kind of end time, end of the world predictions because um, it's the same year that this man, Harold Camping of um, California, uh, made his first of four predictions that the end of the world was coming. Uh, the first one was uh, back in 18, 1988, and then made another one uh, in 94, maybe. And then perhaps one that you're, you're probably more familiar with, May 21st, 2011. And when May 21st, 2011 rolled around and it didn't happen, he revised his um, data to October 21st, 2011. And then little kids were out trick-or-treating on Halloween still. So um, he wasn't really good with his predictions. Finally, I think he's, he's sort of given up on the whole prediction uh, business at 91 and maybe going into retirement. I'm not sure. But uh, it, the, right now, it's set aside. I remember, though, just before the, the May 21st, so sometime in April of this, year, this past year, I was in Akron. I was pulling out of a, um, out of a, uh, you know, like a shopping center or whatever, and there's this, this little tan minivan that's pulling in. And on top of this minivan is a sign that's almost as big as the vehicle itself. And it says, you know, in, in kind of professionally done letters, Judgment Day, May 21st, are you ready? And he's pulling in, and I'm kind of like, wow, look at that, you know? I think Abby might have been with me, and, and I'm seeing this. And, and immediately I thought three things. One, that sign was well done. That took a lot of time and effort. This guy, I mean, he was really working on this thing. It was like welded and all that sort of stuff. And and two, he must really believe that this is, I mean, he's putting it on top of his car. He's driving around the city, you know. I mean, it's not like he's, he's kind of on the fence about this, right? I mean, he's sold out to this idea. But the third one was, how soon after the 21st do you suppose he'll take that thing down, you know? It's like the people, like my family with, um, with uh, not my family now, but my, my family growing up, uh, with Christmas decorations. I think they were up till Easter or something like that, you know. And uh, house, I kind of imagine the guy, here's what I'm thinking as I'm driving down the road, I kind of imagine the guy, you know, did he, like, early on the 22nd, was he going to head out with his socket set, you know, and, like, before everybody went to work, he's out there getting that, that rugged sign down off of that car, or, or did he just kind of leave it up, you know, and, you know, a week or two go by and, you know, phone rings. Hey, Bob, you know, it's Frank from across the street. <laughs> Wondered if you need some help with that sign on top of your car, you know. I, I, I just wonder, how was it before, you know, he sort of kind of gave up? And Any scenario I imagine, though, of taking that sign down had to be, kind of had to be humiliating at least, or painful of some sort, right? Oh, no, here it is, and it's coming down. In the Old Testament lesson, it begins like this. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. You know what? When the, Lord of, when the word of the Lord is rare, sometimes people will fill the vacuum. Sometimes they'll fill the vacuum with their own human words. We've got a word to go in the place of this absent word. Other times, when the word of the Lord is rare, people will disregard the previous words of the Lord. 
uh, you know, as if maybe he's forgotten that he, he changed his mind and those things are out of date. They don't, they don't apply any longer. Harold Camping, the guy who made all the predictions, I think he's in the case of the former. We're going to substitute our own words where God has none. And I think in the passage here, this priest named Eli has two children, Hophni and Phinehas. Maybe simply out of being rebellion for uh, being named Hophni and Phineas, they uh, they reject all of the words of the Lord and they live rather uh, you know licentious lifestyles and, and they kind of reject what God is doing and has said in the past. And then you have Samuel. Samuel is a witness to us that says even though God is silent for a while, He's not silent forever. He does speak. And and even though there are frauds out there, that doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate receivers of the word. There aren't legitimate prophets, even though there are false ones. And so as I look at this life of Samuel and this call of Samuel, there are some things that I think that were real evident about it that, that, that kind of establish its authenticity. And one is, is that Samuel couldn't really discern between the voice of the Lord and a human voice. Did you notice that? This little boy, he's, he's lying in a temple. He's, he's probably about 12 years old. And um, not in the temple, he's in a tabernacle actually this time. He's, uh, he's lying in there in this, this place of worship. He's sleeping in there, which means he must work day and night. Kind of like me in my childhood. Work day and night. And uh, he, he was there and, and he hears this voice. And he jumps up and he runs to find Eli, his boss. And he says, Eli, uh, here I am. You wanted me. I didn't call you. Go back. So he goes back, happens again. I didn't call you, go back. Happens a third time. I didn't call you, go back. But Eli then says, you know, it must be the Lord, right? Presumably, if Eli hadn't said that, and the voice had come again and again and again, Samuel's going to keep going up and going back because he thinks that Eli is the one speaking. You know, I think there are times in life where God is speaking, and it's difficult for us to discern that. And sometimes the best way to do that is to gather people around us who, who are you know, accustomed to hearing a word from the Lord. And they, they, ha- they have something to input, some way to say, you know, this isn't just what you're thinking. This is what God is see- think- uh, speak- thinking and saying and speaking into your life. Samuel, in order to discern the voice of the Lord, had to first listen to the voice of his priest. In order to hear a word from the Lord, he had to hear a word from someone else. It took a human voice. There are people around you and people around me who are good at discerning a word of the Lord. And sometimes I think when we hear it, it what we ought to do at first is, is to go and to listen. You know, here's what I think I'm hearing. Are you hearing that same thing? Uh, another one is that, um, that the, the word of the Lord comes to Samuel uh, whilst he's in the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle is this place, this tent that's set up. And, and in the tent, there is, um, there's like a, a big tent. And then inside the big tent, there's another smaller tent. And inside that smaller tent is a, is a third tent. It's kind of the way I wrap Christmas presents. So that everybody has to decide, you know, they get through one and they get another and another. Just to keep them guessing. Um, but inside the smallest tent in the, is a box. It's about the size of this altar up here. And in that box, if you opened it up, there were, there were three things in there. Aaron's staff, there were the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, and there was a, a, a jar filled with manna. I often like to think of it as like a big mayonnaise jar. And it's in there, and it's you know, emptied out, and it's, it's filled with manna. And, and the, the, the box is covered up, and, and it's laid entirely with gold. And on top of it, there are two angels. And their wings kind of pointed out like this, so that on the top of it, it makes like a throne. 
the point of this box called the Ark of the Covenant with its important contents and its, its design is that it was a reminder to Israel that this is where God sits. This throne on which no visible deity sits is the place where your God is in your midst. Now, some of us might think, well, that's a little archaic and that's a little kind of way. God's everywhere all the time, right? Of course God is everywhere all the time. And ancient Israel knew that as well. They couldn't understand how it is that God was everywhere all the time. And yet, there was something special about this place. About this place where God resided among His people. But they knew that it was true. And young Samuel is sleeping in a tabernacle in very close proximity. As close to this, uh, this uh, Ark of the Covenant as anyone would have been. And that's where he hears the word of the Lord. I think maybe this says something to us about our proximity to God. And how it is we hear a word from the Lord. Maybe if a word from the Lord is rare, maybe it's because our proximity to God is so distant. Of course God is everywhere. Of course He is. You know, the psalmist says, if I, if I, make, if I climb to the highest mountain, you're there. If I make my bed in the, the pits of hell, you're there. If I, there's nowhere I can go where I, can't, I, have to, I can be away from the presence of, of the Almighty. But there is something special about being in the presence of God where God is worshipped. There's something special in ancient Israel. And I think in these latter days, this is where the Holy Spirit is found, or where God is found. Not just because it's in the church. Not because the building is sacred. Because the building, while it's great and important, is not. We are the temple of God. We're gathered. God's Word is proclaimed here. The sacrament is observed here. This is where God's presence is. Here's how we hear a word from the Lord. We draw close to God. We come and we, we have our eyes open. In, in Luke's Gospel, in, the, in the, the end of it, 24th chapter, there are these two disciples who are walking down the road. And Jesus comes up and He's with them. They don't know it's Jesus. They, he's, he's concealed from their presence. And, but He begins to talk to them. They don't recognize Him. And He begins to preach to them. And their hearts begin to burn inside. And they get to a house. It's a regular house. Sit down at the table. And that table becomes an altar. He takes bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to them. Where have we heard those things before, right? And their eyes are open. And they know that the Lord is present in their midst. You know, I, I think that gathering in a place where God's word is proclaimed, where the sacrament is administered, helps us to be in a place where we can hear a word from the Lord. And the third thing about Samuel's experience is that it's not an easy word. Did you catch what God says to him? I mean, this isn't something he wants to hear. In fact, I can tell you, he can tell you that it's something he doesn't want to hear because what does he do? In the morning, he, he tries to avoid Eli. He's not going to tell him what he heard. He's not going to tell him that Eli, that, that, that Eli is going to be punished because he hasn't disciplined his children. And so he sort of avoids him. He, he tries to not, and Eli will have none of that. Tell me what it said. Listen, God's word is always good. But it is not always easy. It is always true. God's word is always true. But it is not always undemanding. And whilst God's Word always brings life, 
It does not come cheap. The word of the Lord sometimes is a hard word. Oftentimes is a hard word. I almost never read in the Bible, maybe you do, show me the page, um, where the word of the Lord came to so-and-so and said, here are the winning lottery numbers. You know, that doesn't happen. Um, you know, the word of the Lord comes to someone and, and they say, um, well, come on down, you know, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. That's not the word of the Lord. It might be some other word, but that's not what God says to people. Usually it's something like, here, I have a job for you to do. And often we're like Jonah. Uh, no thanks, I, I got, I've got other plans. <laughs> this isn't really what I was looking for. I was thinking this week of... Um, of Martin Luther King and the um, the celebration tomorrow of Martin Luther King Day. And uh, so it, it, it caused me to do something that I like to do periodically, or hopefully once a year, but probably not always, is I go back and I read a letter from a Birmingham jail. Have you ever read this great letter where, where Dr. King is actually in jail for, um, for nonviolent protest against uh, injustice? Let me read you just a bit from this letter. He says... He writes this to clergymen. He's not writing to anybody else. He's writing to clergymen who are criticizing him. Um, white clergymen in the city of Birmingham, Alabama, were criticizing him for his, his activity. And he says to them, I wish you had uh, commended the Negro demonstrators of Birmingham for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer, and their amazing discipline in the midst of the most inhuman provocation. One day, the South will recognize its real heroes. They will be the James Merediths, who courageously, uh, uh, who courageously and with majestic sense of purpose, facing the jeering and hostile mobs and the agonizing loneliness that characterizes the life of the pioneer. They will be the old, oppressed, battered Negro women, symbolized in a 72-year-old woman of Montgomery, Alabama, who rose up with a sense of dignity and with her people decided not to ride segregated buses and responded to one who inquired about her tiredness with an ungrammatical profundity. My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. They will be young high school and college students, young ministers of the gospel, and a host of their elders courageously and nonviolently sitting at lunch counters and willingly going to jail for conscience sake. One day the South will know that when these disinherited children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream and the most sacred values in our Judeo-Christian heritage. Dr. King knew that sometimes hearing a word from the Lord meant doing something that nobody wanted you to do. Saying something nobody wanted you to say. Being in a place where nobody wanted you to be. Sometimes hearing a word from the Lord was difficult. It was not easy. And if anyone tells you that hearing a word from the Lord is easy, I promise you they are selling you something. Run the other way. This is not what you want to hear. And when I was a boy, I, I, my, uh, my uncle was a, a volunteer fireman in Vandalia, near the north side of, of Dayton. And uh, my cousins and I, we used to think that my uncle walked on water. I still think he does, to be honest with you. He's just a great man. And he was a volunteer fireman, so he worked all day in a foundry. And then at the end of the day, he would come home and, and he would work at the, the fire station. And he'd be on call. And, and we even knew the call numbers on the, on the radio. When they'd come over, they, they wouldn't say, you know, Jack, come here. They would say, uh, you know, whatever numbers. And, and we recognized those as kids. Oh, no, it's time to go. One time, my aunt told me that uh, there was a boy who had fallen into a pool, a six-year-old boy. And he was unresponsive. And my uncle got there. And um, they, they couldn't get him, so he did CPR, and the boy began to spread out water. And, you know, in a little bit he was sitting up, and the, you know, the relief that his parents had. 
other stories that I had heard. He never told me them, but we heard them from, from other people that, you know, they went into these burning buildings or volunteers. They had to do everything. You know, if it's somebody who's injured or if there's a car wreck or there's a fire, they're going in. I used to think, man, you know, that's kind of what I'd like to be. I remember pushing little fire trucks around thinking, wouldn't it be great to be a fireman? Somebody who runs into a building when everybody else is running out? The whole world's on fire. You know, the whole world's on fire. And I think God is calling people, I think God is calling His people to run in while everybody else is running out. The question is, are His people listening? Amen.